Good morning. Thank you, Paul, for sharing that. Thank you, Bruce and Jim, for leading us in prayers. Um, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. That can be found on page 14 in the ESV Pew Bible in front of you. Genesis chapter 17, page 14. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you, he who is Eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant." Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become Nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a, chi a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. 
As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, there is a great deal of activity in this chapter, and so we ask for your grace and your patience and your steadfastness as we turn to it, asking that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us, that we would not just read these words and move about with our daily life, but that we would take them and we would treasure them in our hearts as we get a glimpse of you, the covenant God, from this passage in the Old Testament, from this covenant with the patriarch Abraham. Father, that it, would, um, that it would stir our hearts, that it would move our affections to you. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I, I wonder if you have ever breached a contract, been in breach of a contract. You, you've you've uh, missed a payment Uh, something that you've agreed to do contractually and and you've failed to fulfill it. I read recently that PayPal sent a letter to uh, a lady in England stating that she still had an outstanding balance of 3,700 British pounds. Their letter was in response to her husband's letter notifying PayPal that she had died. In the PayPal letter, they wrote to the deceased that she was in breach of the contract by dying (laughs) and that the breach was without remedy. It was an eternal breach of contract. But you see, contracts, this is all that they are. It's merely transactional. There are Penalties if, if, if there's breach, there's, there are penalties if there's no fulfillment of, of, of what one side promises to uphold. But then if, if, if the promises are fulfilled and upheld, then the two parties get their benefits and, and they move on their way. But you see, God does not set up a contract with Abram. He sets up a covenant The difference is that the covenant is intended to reach much deeper than a contract. A covenant is intended to reach to the heart. When God makes his covenant with Noah, he's not just saying, I promise never to flood the earth uh, as I have done before. It's an expression of his 
character and, in, and, and the intention of God towards man. It, it is meant to uh, elicit, to bring forth a response from the individual. That response internally is worship. And externally, it is obedience. God inaugurates His covenant with Abram in, in chapter 15, as we saw quite some time ago, that God will provide a land, that God will provide a, a seed uh, for Abram and his offspring. And, 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 and we can read that at face value. We can look at that and say, this, this is merely a transaction. God, God is the God of Abraham, and then Abraham gets seed, and he gets land and family. But I think at this point, we need to, we need to zoom way out. And we need to put on our redemptive historical lenses for a moment. And we think of the first three chapters of this book of Genesis. And we think of God who is, who is creating out of the over superabundance of his love, out of an overflow of his love, out of his divine pleasure in relationship, eternal relationship with as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the byproduct of that love is creation. The heavens and the earth, the sea, the land, the stars, the, the planets, the solar systems, the plants, the animals, and man. And God creates an order to his creation and that order is its relationship and its authority. But you see, man is tempted to turn against God. And all of humanity is plunged into sin. And I know you're all familiar with the, this story, but we're, we're doing a brief recap of, of, of redemptive historical covenant history. But all of, all of humanity is plunged into sin, lost and separated from the loving, outflowing Creator God. And as we have seen in our series, God elects smaller segments to bring people back into relationship with Him, with always the goal of bringing the nations back in. And, and we remember the table of nations from earlier in Genesis and, and how they've all split and divided and the languages have caused division. And so God's plan is always to bring those nations back to Him. And we think of Noah and his family, and God makes a covenant not to ever flood the earth again. And we, we think of Abraham, and, and God says through Abraham, I will raise a people through you and will bring restoration back through your line. I, I will bless the nations through this one family. And we think of Israel, and, and, and God says, I will give you my law to show you how to live a blessed life according to my purposes. And the nations will, will see this, and they will see how you have been called to live, and, and, and you will be a blessing to them. And we think of David, and God says of David, of his line, that, that I will raise up a king who will extend a kingdom of, of, of peace and of blessing to all of the nations. 
But the family of Abraham and the nation of Israel, they fail these covenants over and over. And they break them. And so they go into exile. And the prophets come and they, and they tell of the day when God will restore His covenants in spite of the failure of Israel. And so it is that the, 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 the new covenant comes in Jesus Christ who's from the family of Abraham, who's in the line of David. He's from the family of Abraham and he's bringing the, the blessings that the family of that family to, to the world. He is the true Israelite who finally fulfills the law. He is in the line of David and he will rule and extend a, a kingdom of justice and peace to all. So those who come through the covenant keeping Christ by faith are restored to Yahweh and receive all the promises that have been made. They have all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's our snapshot of, of, covenant, of covenant theology so that we're clear. And now I want us to zoom back into this story of Abram. And we want to look at it more closely at this particular covenant. Do you see why the whole concept of being unhitched from the Old Testament, and I know that's, that could get redundant, but, but it, it, just in looking at this, it, 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 not only does it not make sense, but it actually robs us of, of a clearer picture of God. It robs us of, of, of a clearer picture of Christ. It robs us of, of, of glorying in the majesty of our God who has sovereignly worked salvation for His people. As a weak illustration, it's as, as if you were to build a, a Lego set for your child or, or, or put a puzzle together for them and, and present it to them and they'd say, wow, this is great. And they may really like it. They might appreciate it. But if you were to show them what it looked like beforehand and the challenge and the difficulty of the process and their understanding and their gratefulness for the final product, it, it, it's immeasurable. So what do we learn of the, the covenant God in Genesis chapter 17? First, we learn that the covenant God is patient and powerful. Patient and powerful. Verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. If you can do the math from the very preceding verse, from the end of chapter 16, when he was 86, that means he was... How much later? There you go. Mathematicians. Thirteen years have gone by in silence from Scripture. What has happened? Well, obviously the, the family has carried on. Hagar has rejoined the family with Ishmael. Remember, she had run off into the wilderness at the end of 16, so she's obviously come back in. Sarai still remains without uh, bearing any children. But even in the silence from God, He is still with them. His promises are, are still true. Now, is this silence here because of that failed plan with Hagar? We don't know. The text doesn't say. 
But we know that when the time was right, God came to Abram because based on other verses in this chapter, it seems that Abram is content with Ishmael being the seed that God promised. So God patiently waits, and then he comes and he speaks. And what does he say? He says, I am the Lord Almighty. I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. I am the God of power and strength. Now, why would he say that? Why would he use that term? Why wouldn't he say, I am Yahweh? Perhaps because Abram is starting to believe that the, that the Hagar plan actually worked. That, that, that it was Abram's ingenuity that brought about the seed, which puts the power where? It puts the power with Abram, puts the power with Sarai. And God says, no, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. And then he tells Abram to walk before him and be blameless. What does that mean? I think based on the text, it's calling for the life of Abram to be lived out before God in openness. Remember, the, the, the Hagar plan was made by Sarai and Abram, but where do we read about any of the prayers to El Shaddai? There was no seeking of the counsel of the Lord in that. What it's doing is it's putting the authority where it belongs. These are not equals in this covenant. They are not equals with one another. This is the sovereign reminding the servant of his position. Lest he forget. But you see... God doesn't just thunder from heaven that he's in charge and and, and Abram is just a worm. Remember God's outgoing, overflowing love in creation. Well, the same is here. He says, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. His intention is to bless Abraham. To use him for God's purposes, which is to bring blessing, not just for Abram, but for many. And what is Abram's response? He falls on his face. His response is worship. How often we need this reminder. When we are worried that that God is moving too slow, like we saw last week, or, or, or we start to worry that, that God will not accomplish things. We can start believing the lie that, that, that God may be all-powerful, but He is not kind or good. Or the inverse, the, the opposite, that, that He is good and He is kind, but He lacks power. He's both, and we see that evidenced again and again in the Scripture. And so as we just sang multiple times through a bunch of those songs, we must rest in the fact that He is working all things for good for those who are called according to His purposes. 
We have to rest and remind ourselves of these truths. The covenant God is patient and powerful. Second, the covenant God is gracious and giving. Verse 4, God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. And now I can stop saying Abram. This is like taking off a heavy coat or something. You just sort of, oh, I've been trying to f- stick with it. And now I can stop. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. The kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. And, and after Uh, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give you and your offspring after you the land of your... So do you hear a repetition in there anywhere? And the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Okay, quite a lot to unpack here. First, this is the first time that God has said that Abraham will be the father of a multitude of nations. In chapter 12, he said that I will make you a great nation. In chapter 15, he said uh, you will have innumerable offspring. But now he says he will be the father of nations, plural. But Israel is one nation. Yes, he's the father of Ishmael, which means he's the father of the Ishmaelites. And and later on, Esau will come along, and Esau is the father of the Edomites. But this is within the, the, the context of the promise. This is within the context of the covenant. And here we see what we talked about at the start, the idea of the nations of the world who will be restored and redeemed to Yahweh. People from every nation and tribe and tongue. Those who have the faith of Abraham in the God of Abraham through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God God is not changing His covenant with Abraham. He's actually enlarging it. He's giving in in overabundance. And so with this added promise, God changes his name from Abram, Abram, which means exalted father, which is supposed to be probably a reflection of Terah, his father. He comes from an exalted father. To Abraham, father of a multitude of nations. So that every time someone calls his name, he is reminded of the covenant with God. And he is reminded of the promise of the seed to be the father, that he'll be the father of nations. At the end of World War I, um, Herbert Hoover, who later became the president of the United States, not the vacuum guy. Um, That's my Home Alone 2 reference. Uh, Herbert Hoover led the uh, Allied relief efforts in Europe. And, and through his efforts, he kept hundreds of thousands of people from starving, from starvation. And, and a new word was actually entered into the Finnish language. In Finland, and if you're a 
Finnish expert, you can correct my pronunciation. But in Finland, the word huveri, huver, huveri, means to be kind, to help, to be generous. It's a reminder to people, and it serves a purpose. God uses uh, uh, changed names throughout Scripture. Jacob becomes Israel. Saul becomes Paul. Simon is changed to Peter, always with a purpose to serve as a reminder, a, a gracious reminder of a new name and a new purpose. We also see this covenant is a promise that Yahweh will be the God of Abraham and his people and your descendants and your descendants and your, those who come after you and those who come after you. What, what, what does it mean? It means it will be a relationship of divine human communion and fellowship. Yahweh graciously dwells with his people. He is with them when their forefathers multiply. He is with Isaac and Jacob. He is with the sons of Jacob. He is with Joseph in Egypt. He is with his people when they are in slavery in Egypt. He is with his people when they are freed from Egypt. He is with his people when they want to go back to Egypt. He is with his people in the wilderness. He is with his people in the land of Canaan. He is with his people when they are in exile. He is with his people when they return to Jerusalem. He is with his people when the eternal son comes to call them back to him. He's with his people when the Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost. He's with his people at all times, even today, even right now, as we read and we study these promises from thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Because his promises are eternal, are they not? And so we, get, we live in this line of heritage of promises that have been fulfilled all the way through down to us today. And we carry these over and over again. He says, this is an everlasting covenant. This is an everlasting covenant. Why? Because God is unchanging. Though the hearts of men wander and attempt to find the next best thing, God remains constant and his covenant eternal. Jeff Falkowski was telling me a story this past week of when he was at a church up in North Georgia. And he said there was um, another church nearby. And they told Jeff, they said, we're going to hire this young hotshot preacher who's going to come in and turn this place loose, whatever that means. <laughs> How loose. Um, and this young guy came in, and he put on this enormous event, like a carnival. And, and they had to come to Jeff's church to borrow tables and chairs because they just said, we've got so many people coming. And Jeff thought, man, this is great. Well, weeks after this event, and it was a huge success in terms of attendance, weeks after the event, Jeff met with that young preacher I said, what, how, how did that all go? That, that seemed like it was amazing. He said, not one of those families joined our church. Because they were drawn by the attractional, they were drawn by the, the fun and the whatever it was. 
They weren't coming in because they wanted to hear the Word of God preached. And that wasn't even what was put before them. And so we need to think about what we put out before people. What is it that people are going to come back for? Because what they, those people did is they went, they saw the attractional thing, and they thought, this was a lot of fun. But the next Sunday they're just going to preach. That's not what I'm here for. I'm just going to go find the next fun, entertaining thing to do on Sunday. I think there can be this lack of understanding and appreciation that God gives in abundance to the patriarchs, and yet we see them fail, and their faith gives way again and again, and yet God remains faithful. He remains faithful. Even in the provision of a, of a son from Abraham, we see the foreshadowing of God's greatest gift, the eternal son, the absolute height of what it means to give. The covenant God is patient and powerful. The covenant God is gracious and giving. Third, the response to the covenant God, verse 9. The response to the covenant God, verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. There is a required response to the covenant. Verse 4, it starts with, I will, I will, I will. And verse 9, it starts out with, As for you. But you see, this is not a bait-and-switch tactic. Although it, it, it was one-sided in the sense that God set up all the terms of the covenant, there were still two parties to the covenant. And so here we learn that God's grace demands a response. God's grace demands a response, and that response always entails faith and commitment and obedience. This is, that's the appropriate response to God's grace in the covenant. But I want you to see as well that even God's commands in the covenant are gracious. That's one of the things that comes out in this passage, that the, the, the demands that God makes of Abraham here are ultimately not simply self-serving or, or self-directed commands. They are commands that are designed to enhance Abraham's faith. In fact, the specific command that God gives to Abraham in this passage is to make sure that he keeps the covenant sign that is designed to strengthen his faith. And so God demands that Abraham do something that is good for him. He, he says, I will not allow you to not do this thing which I have designed for your own good. And so the very demands, the commands of the covenant are gracious. That colors the whole way that we respond to God. Once we understand his commands, not just this command... But all of his commands are gracious. Doesn't it change the way that we approach the law of God? The word of God, the command of God. Suddenly those laws are not uh, you know, a heavy yoke upon our backs to, to break us, to ruin our lives. They are things which he demands that we do because he loves us so much that he will not let us miss an ounce of the blessing of doing them. 
Now, this is not justification by works. But you see, just as he gave Abraham his new name to reiterate to him the promises he had made to him, now he is going to give him a sign. In fact, he is going to carve this sign into his body in circumcision. It's one of the most uncomfortable passages to read to you in the repetition of all of that. But you see, for Abraham, it's this constant reminder everywhere he goes, he can't get away from the sign that God has given to him, that God is faithful to his promises. The covenant has been stated over and over again. It is relationship with Yahweh. The covenant is relationship with Yahweh. So now Abraham hears it every time he hears his name. And he sees it. Well, you get the point. The, the, The point of the covenant is relationship. It is deep to the heart relationship that Abraham's walk before the Lord be one that is open and before his God, that his heart would be one that is for the Lord, that his trust would be in the Lord, that his confidence would be in the Lord. And God has graciously changed his name and graciously given him a sign that seals the promise, that reminds him of the promise. But the sign of circumcision and the changing of, Abraham, of Abram to Abraham, they mean nothing if there is no relationship. For even Ishmael and even later Esau will bear the mark of the covenant. But they will not have the relationship with God. They will not have the faith of Abraham, great or small. They will turn away from Yahweh. So the signs are important. The signs are instructive. They are so deeply tied to the covenant. But the signs themselves do not save. It is the Lord who saves. And that by faith in the God who saves. Just as baptism does not save, but symbolizes the appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. So what is the response to covenant? What is the response to covenant? Faith and obedience. It's, it's not a contract. It's not merely transactional. It is a pers- it's personal and relational. When something is personal and, 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 and there's a, a call for obedience then it's not a burden. It's not a yoke that's going to break your back, but actually it's something that leads you to joy. I remember there was a group that um, they used to sort of, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if they were joking or serious, maybe it was a little bit of both, but they used to talk about their life before they became a believer. Oh, I used to do this and I'd go there and we'd do all these things. And then I got saved it's like the most depressing thing. I was like the the vividness was in there carrying on and probably quite a bit of sin and usually the description was of sin. 
you know, but then it's like, and then I'm being a believer. It's like, now I'm on this road, and I guess it's good. And, you know, what is that? What are you doing? You're not, is this evangelism? But then I think of people who I know who, when they talk about their life before Christ, it is so gray and drab. And they paint that picture intentionally. Sure, there was probably fun and joy for little bits of pieces here and there. But, but, but the way that they cast that picture for you, if they were painting it for you, you would just say, this is, this is depressing. I don't want to see this. You know, Where is the vibrancy? Where is the color? And that's when they say, and then I found Christ found me and saved me. And all of a sudden, the picture is painted with beautiful color and spectrum. And, 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 and it's just beautiful. This is the difference. Now they've actually been called to a life of obedience, and, 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 it's, and it's wonderful. It's not gray and drab, and I'm being pulled away from all these lovely things that I'd like to do. No, 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 no. My heart's affections have been changed. I no longer love these things. To me, they are dull, they are gray, they are drab, and they are death. But now I've been called to this new thing. This has life. This has purpose. This has meaning. The covenant God is patient and powerful. The covenant God is gracious and giving. The response to the covenant God is faith and obedience. Finally, the covenant God remembers. He goes back to Abraham. Because Abraham has started to think that Ishmael is the seed. The one who came through the servant from Egypt. But God says, no. One will come from the free woman, Sarai, whose name is changed to Sarah, because she will be the mother of many kings. Even at 90, she will bring forth the promised seed, Isaac. Isaac, which means laughter, because Abraham laughs out of faith in God's promises. And Sarah will laugh because she doubts God's promises. What a reminder of the nature of God and the fickleness of the human heart. God has not left Abraham without a full heir. And one with whom the covenant will be established and continued. I'm overwhelmed in this chapter. The character of God is like a a, a tidal wave just crashing over us. Blessing and promise on top of blessing and promise. But once again, it comes back to faith. Because God has given signs and promises. He has given new names and reminders. But there is still no child. There is still no land. And yet Abraham falls on his face when God speaks to him. And he takes the men of his tribe that very day, the text says. And he marks them with the sign of the covenant in circumcision because of his faith. His faith in the covenant God who is powerful and patient. In the covenant God who is 
gracious and giving. So whether your faith today is weak or strong, remember that you are part of this covenant. You are heirs of the promise to Abraham through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are your works, your love, your care, every attribute attribute of you is just so overwhelming. Forgive us, Lord, when we try and supplant you with lesser things. We thank you that you worked your will and your purposes through this man, Abraham. We thank you that you started the line of that family. We thank you that you worked sovereignly, even at times where it seemed small and insignificant. You were working your plans all the way through to what you knew would come in the sending of your son, which would also look small and insignificant. And yet here we are gathered in this room thousands of years later to rejoice in that seemingly small and significant, insignificant work which was profound, which has changed trajectories of lives. And so, Father, we want our response to be that as what we've just heard, that that we would describe our past life as those things that are dead and drab and gray, but that you have given us new purpose. You have called us into this family of Abraham. You have provided your own son and a gracious gift and a giving gift. You are working your purposes out for those who are called according to them. So, Father, help us see with clarity whatever our obstacles, whatever our challenges, whatever faces us, that we would remember these things, that we would plant them deep in our hearts. Father, that the outside world would see these things, long for what we have been given. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.